Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Alley of Newsbusters. We would like to confess we have a weakness. We have a tendency to gravitate to wherever that forgotten man of yesteryear, Brian Stelter, resurfaces in the news world. And there he was in Davos, Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. Ah, yes, the place where all the globalists and socialists gather to decide how the highly educated elites should rule the ignorant masses of the world. Yes, there we could see on Twitter, John Kerry was reporting for duty to save the planet. Although he was not spotted cradling Greta Thunberg like the cops. Mr. Brian Stelter was the moderator for a panel. And by moderator, we mean he nods his head a lot as the progressives say what they think are the smart things. And the subject of this panel was, quote unquote, disinformation. Conservative Twitter had a field day on Tuesday with these elitists spouting off about how social media giants need to suppress a lot of speech because that's how you save democracy. You save democracy by squelching the opposing point of view that you don't like. (laughs) Still not getting the logic of that. Well, part of that is that, yes, they they bundle the entire opposing view into disinformation instead of plucking out the disinforming pieces. You could say, I don't like that piece. I don't like that piece. But no, you bundle it all up into a big snowball. I gravitated to this exchange where Brian Stelter is talking to Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts one-time failed Democrat presidential candidate. Listen. But I thought it was striking, Congressman, that you brought that up right away mm-hmm. with regards to 2016 and, and Trump showing that lying works. Has, has that only become more true in the, in the last six years? Do you see evidence that it's less true, hopefully, now? I think or that, does I, I, Congressman I, Santos just reaffirm it? Well, I mean, Congressman Santos is a, a hopefully extreme case. Um, this, uh, per- I hope you don't know anything about him, but he's elected. <laughs> no, it had a lot of laughs, so it's yeah. probably do. Um, right. and, uh, and 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 look, he actually presents a real danger to our Congress, to our, not just to our reputation, but to our national security. If um, mm-hmm. if the Speaker gives him access to committee information, he, he, if he sits on the Armed Services Committee mm-hmm. and gets classified briefings, that he could turn around and sell to Brazil because Brazil wants to extradite him. I mean. Mm. This is a real, this is a real, real threat who we, that we now have sitting in um, Congress, and he's not being expelled because he voted for McCarthy. The joke here is that it's like Stelter is still doing reliable sources, but now he's doing it in Europe. We're touring the world, man. It's like Eurovision. This whole setup is classic reliable Stelter. Seth, what about the lies? The lies. When Brian and I were on a panel at the Paley Center in New York back in 2019, he was like, but Tim, it's about the lies. Well, my point to him then was, Trump's not the only person who tells lies in Washington or wherever they are. 
I always, of course, go back to the Clintons. Oh, yes, the Clintons never lied about anything. I never had sex with that woman, whatever her name was, the one with the beret. Hillary Clinton was going around saying that, you know, Bill Clinton gave her a book of poetry because that's who he is. He's just a nice guy. He wasn't sexing anyone up. So, yes, Trump is a habitual liar. And, yes, George Santos is almost in a different category. I mean, he's, it's like he's trying to say, ah, Bill Clinton, hold my beer. But this, to me, is what's wrong about the ascension of Donald Trump or maybe what's right. And that is the media arrogance that just boiled over. I mean, these people, where they march around and announce they are the truth. And the conservatives then somehow are falsehood. They are democracy. And conservatives are the forces of autocracy. Now, you you could hear this when Joe Biden was doing his Martin Luther King Day speeches. It was like, you know, you got to choose democracy over autocracy. That's the way they pose the Republicans and the Democrats or the Democrats and the Republicans. We're for order and they're for chaos. And this is where you say, well, wasn't the January 6th committee narrative uh, really convenient for you? Because it seems to me like race riots in 2020 were chaos. And they weren't exactly democracy. That was anarchy in the streets. And you called it a racial reckoning. You welcomed it with open arms. Oh, resistance. This is what we've always needed with Trump is just Violent resistance. It feels so good. So let's accept Trump did make this autocracy line look more plausible after the election by refusing to accept the election results. And this whole picture that the January 6th committee gave us of Trump enjoying the riot on his TV while everyone around him was saying, sir, why don't you please call off the mega mob? But just the pomposity that flows from these people, it's epic. And, you know, then they complain that trust in the press just cratered even further in the Trump years. They, of course, fully blame that on Trump and never on themselves. Now, also on the Stelter panel, in addition to Moulton, was New York Times company chairman Arthur Greg Salzberger. His grandfather, Salzberger, was nicknamed Punch. His father, Salzberger, was a little mockingly nicknamed Pinch. This guy needs a nickname. I don't know, maybe Milk Punch. I don't know. We, we just know that Stelter never actually worked for this particular Salzberger as his boss. He left for CNN in 2013 before Arthur Gregg Salzberger took the reins. But he still acts like he's an unofficial Times employee. He just breathed the power fumes around this guy. So Stelter just wanted to establish, you know, how would you, as the news provider, as the trustworthy source, attack this problem of disinformation? And of course, because there's flattery there, Mr. Salzberger has to say, oh, Brian, I care deeply about this. How does this discussion of disinformation relate to everything else happening here today in Davos? Um, well, first, uh, thanks for having me as, as part of this conversation. As you can imagine, this is something I really care deeply about. 
So I, th I think if you look at, at um, this question of disinformation, I think it maps basically to every other <laughs> major challenge that we are grappling with as a society, and particularly the most existential among them. So disinformation and, and the broader set of misinformation, conspiracy, propaganda, clickbait, you know, the, the, the broader um, mix of bad information that's corrupting the information ecosystem. What it attacks is trust. And once you see trust decline, uh, what you then see um, is uh, societies start to fracture. And so you see people fracture along tribal lines and, um, and, uh, and you know, that immediately undermines pluralism. Mm -hmm. And you know, the undermining of pluralism is probably the most dangerous thing that can happen to a democracy. So I really, I think if, if, you know, if you're spending this week thinking about the health of democracies and democratic erosion, I think it's really important to work your way back up to where this starts. Here again, we have Democrats in the media saying the undermining of pluralism is dangerous in a democracy. That's why we're all for suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop. Huh? Pluralism. You're not for pluralism. Let's let's basically fire our one of our op-ed editors because he dared to publish an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton. Was that pluralism at work or was that some sort of woke army suppressing speech inside the New York Times? They always pretend that trust eroded this was just because Trump gave us some nasty tweets. It never had anything to do with the, the way they've reported the news or called stuff the news that wasn't really journalism. So how did trust erode and how could it be restored? You know, we could offer a lot of ideas and it starts with humility. That is not an easy thing that comes to people naturally. But you might want to stop without all these gaudy mottos about how democracy dies in darkness or that the truth is more important now than ever because both of those obviously sounded like campaign buttons. And they basically said, we are the forces of truth. We are the army of democracy. And to people who think you're a, a bunch of liberal jerks, that doesn't work. It just sounds like a campaign button, you know. And we understand that you may say, well, the right-wingers, we can't really say we're going to restore trust with the right-wingers. That would seem to be impossible. Well, but if you were trying to actually reach out to the middle, that would be something conservatives would have to acknowledge. But I think we all know from the example of Chris Licht at CNN, even mouthing the words that he wanted to move toward a more neutral journalistic direction, he got bombed by the Don Lemon drops. Oh, no, no. Our thing here is to call out Trump at all times. We are never here to merely report facts and tell you what's going on. We have to always, always agitate people into hating Trump every two minutes. But if you, if you could just humbly be a source of information, if you could simply report instead of endlessly editorializing, if you could simply report what happened an hour ago instead of speculating about what's going to happen in the next year. And I, you know what else would help? Why don't you actually take some time and get to know the people that you can't stand? Because what they do with, reporter, with, with conservatives is they just let their hate flow. 
they imagine the worst. You know, they go looking for all the oppo. They'll accept all the oppo that every Democrat and left-wing group hands them and recirculate it. But they don't want to actually talk to you, right? You think the New York Times routinely calls up the Media Research Center for a quote? You know, Jim Rutenberg, back when he was a media reporter, might call. You know, Paul Farhi at the Washington Post occasionally will call over here. David Botter at the Associated Press will occasionally call over here. This is one of the ways that you build some measure of trust. And not just with us, but it helps with us. Actually acknowledge that we might have something to contribute to the public conversation. But no, their whole approach is conservatives who criticize the press are evil and they're somehow the forces of autocracy. I mean, Stelter went back to another one of his musty old wines, and I mean wines, about Trump calling them fake news and the enemy of the people. Now, I never liked the enemy of the people business, but let's face it, people at the New York Times think conservatives are the enemy of the people. They think Trump's the enemy of the people. That's certainly sort of their inspiration. But of course here, Stelter throws the softball about the fake news and Mr. Milk Punch is comparing conservatives who criticize his newspaper to the Nazis and the Soviets. Of course he did. The term fake news and then disinformation, it was popularized six years ago at this point. Where are we today versus then? What do you mean, where are we today versus then? So this was a, a, a hot, popular topic. Yeah. There was an awakening about it. The social networks felt pressure. But now where are we? And the uh, same question for Jeannie, but where, where are we today? Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, and, and to, to be clear, actually, terms like fake news and enemy, enemies of the people have been popularized cyclically in society mm. and in, in some of the most, you know, um, you know, repressive and dangerous moments, you know, Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, right? Um, so um, so I think anytime we're hearing language like that applied to, you know, a free press, um, you know, or, or more broadly free expression, I think, I think we should be um, really worried. This panel isn't a new version of reliable sources. It's like a bad rerun after a hangover. Who would watch reliable sources after a hangover? I don't know. I don't have a lot of hangovers. I'm kind of the milk punch guy, I guess. Now, if you're in podcast mode, I do recommend to you, Mark Levin took this on in his first hour on Tuesday night. He was underlining again that this New York Times was some kind of bubbly um, Alga Salzberger for tyrants. Oh, what a relief it is. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz. So... They downplayed that Holocaust thing back in the 30s and 40s, despite being owned by that upstanding Jewish newspaper family, the Salzburgers. Now, Levin hints that they were trying to sort of work their way in, wheedle themselves into polite society. And Levin hit all the old horrors. You know, Walter Durante, who won a Pulitzer Prize as he denied Stalin's genocide in Ukraine. Now, can we remember that, all you libs who have the Ukraine flag on your Twitter page? Hmm? We still favor Ukraine over those Russian hordes, but hey, that's not the team you guys were on in the 20th century. And then there's Herbert Matthews. He was the wind beneath the wings 
of that up-and-coming commie tyrant Fidel Castro out there in Cuba in the woods. So where does this Ivy League-educated prince of the papers get off suggesting that somehow we are like the Nazis or we are like the Soviets when we criticize them and all the pro-Nazi, pro-Soviet stuff they did? Get off your high horse, Sulzberger. Yes, the Arthur Gregg Sulzberger page on Wikipedia touts him saying an independent press is not a liberal ideal or a progressive ideal or a democratic ideal. It's an American ideal. Shut up. What does this guy know about American ideals? His newspaper has been a thriving source of America hatred for many decades now. They favored the opposing team in most American wars. They were all about the Pentagon Papers and trying to make sure we lost in Vietnam. The America-hating protesters for peace, use your quotation fingers, those were their heroes. American ideals, yes, the people now shoving the 1619 Project down your throat about America's horrible legacy of systemic racism. Oh, yes, they know the American ideals. Salzberger naturally agreed with other panelists in Davos on the importance of teaching the children to identify the trustworthy sources and ignore the disinformation. This is their arrogance again. We are trustworthy. The conservatives are disinformation. We were trustworthy when we suppressed Hunter Biden's laptop because it was disinformation. Then, two years later, we go, oopsie, I guess it was real. Was there any apologies to the people you called disinformers? Will you admit you were less than trustworthy? No. They take a story like this where they acknowledge it's real and they put it on page A20. Like, pay no attention that we're actually acknowledging that this exists. Salzberger said, at some point, given the centrality of the platforms in disseminating bad information, they're going to have to do an unpopular and brave thing to differentiate and elevate trustworthy sources of information. He then admitted, while this may suppress engagement in the social media, well, this, they're basically saying, it's your job to elevate the New York Times. I mean, how arrogant is that? I mean, this is what they've been doing. Nobody ever thought Twitter was going to suppress the Twitter account of the New York Times. They suppressed the New York Post for 17 days. If they suppressed the New York Times for 17 days, they'd be talking about the Nazis and the Soviets at Twitter. Yes, and then, they, of course, they all talk about how the other thing that the uh, social media giants need to do is pre-bunking the disinformation. Yeah, how did that work out in 2020? The pre-bunking. I mean, there's the Hunter Biden thing, which they clearly bungled. And I think at this point, we can say they bungled the COVID. And we may also argue they sort of bungled the COVID on purpose. I mean, now we've got Dr. Leanna Wen, the old Planned Parenthood president. She's going around and she's saying, guys, you know what? Um, a lot of the COVID deaths weren't actually deaths from COVID. They were attributed to COVID, but some of them were like car accidents and homicides. Yeah. 
And they're saying that now we're in 2023. And now it's like, well, gee, some of these weren't actually COVID deaths. Well, in 2020, they were very, very interested in blaming COVID deaths on Trump. And that was one of their ways to say Trump sucks as a president because COVID deaths are so prominent. And then they had these reporters and put reporters in quotation marks who would come to the Trump press conferences. You know, I'm, of course, thinking of uh, that power couple, Olivia Nuzzi and Ryan Lizza, uh, Meryl Streep and Warren Beatty. I don't know. That's actually a compliment to Ryan Lizza. All I'm saying is they would come and they would say, how many deaths are acceptable? Mr. Trump, you've lost 50,000 people like it's the Vietnam War. The idea that they would blame every COVID death on the president of the United States. And we all know that many more people have died of COVID under Biden. And he's not responsible for a single one of those. And you might say that's unfair. Well, if it's unfair for Biden, what is it for Trump? I'm sorry. This was one of those things. And yes, Ryan Lizza then came and he, he was kind of doing, how many deaths are acceptable? Now, that's not a serious question. That's, an, that's a political attack badly disguised as a question. And that's where I really do think that you kind of want the press secretary to give him a, a big heaping cup of tood. That's, <laughs> you know, Trump, when he was asked about losing 50,000 people, as I recall, stayed very calm and tried to just deal with her when she really did deserve to be trashed. You know, how would you like to be president to be blamed for every person who died of COVID? You know, if Hillary Clinton was president right now, would you be blaming her for every COVID death? I think not. So, yeah, you had this panel of people. You had this, uh, you know, they're all talking about soon you will have hate speech in the United States restrictions like we do in Europe. It's like, no, I don't think so. That's what people like us are around to do is to say, stop it. Because we all know when you say hate speech, you're pretty much saying conservative speech. You're going to glom it all together just like you do. Yes, the Europeans think it's important that disinformers don't find their feeding ground so that people don't get brainwashed. They need to be taught by the professional media. Oh, yeah, they never do brainwashing. So CNN, speaking of Stelter's buddies, uh, Oliver Darcy in the CNN Reliable Sources newsletter used this panel to go into the usual attack on Glenn Beck, on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, you know, and he was like, these people use this term for the World Economic Forum called the Great Reset. Well, that was actually their term. Then they're coming up with things that world leaders want you to eat insects rather than meat. Well, we can give you chapter and verse on how many liberal media outlets have done that article. You guys should really be eating crickets. They're delicious and full of protein. Then uh, Darcy was complaining. Elon Musk said the S in ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance criteria that all the woke corporations are following. He said the S in ESG stands for satanic. Darcy, of course, treats this like it's dead serious instead of wink, wink, joke, joke, elbow, elbow. 
Then he goes to Alex Friedfeld, associate editor with the ADL Center on Extremism. Yes. The liberals always have their groups that are watchdogs of extremism, and there's only one flavor of extremism any of these people follow, and that's the far right. And so in this case, you can't mock, you know, the people in Davos. You have these folks like Tucker Carlson or Glenn Beck. They normalize these conspiracy theories. Well, yeah, again, let's go back to COVID and the origins of COVID. And what did the trustworthy sources say? The trustworthy sources said, you can't ask about whether the Chinese, that this happened in a lab. You can't blame Chinese communists. Why? Because they're welcome at Davos and you're not. Is that where it is? Yes, Friedfeld explained to Darcy, you end up going searching for whatever version they're talking about on Fox News, and all of a sudden you're exposed to all of these conspiracies that fall under the same umbrella. Yes, Darcy touts Sophia Tulp at the Associated Press reported that use of the Great Reset as a term has been on the steady rise at Fox News. Who is this, AP or David Brock's workshop? Tulp said the term was mentioned on the right-wing talk channel. See, see the way that Oliver writes this? It's not a news channel. It's a talk channel. Oh, and what is CNN? All reporting all the time? Stop it. The term Great Reset was mentioned on the right-wing talk channel 60 times in 2022, up from 30 mentions in 2021 and 20 in 2020. That's over a year Tulp added it was most mentioned on Tucker Carlson's show and Laura Ingram's show. Okay, you want to take terms that have been used 60 times? How about big lie? That's been used 8,000 times. You know, I mean, there's just a whole pile of terms. How many times does CNN say hard right, far right, radical right, ultra right? CNN never uncorks a conspiracy theory. It's very sad. So, yes, this is where we are. Was, and, yes, conservatives say whenever you start talking about suppressing disinformation, we hear you're about suppressing us. Now, we should all be, try to be reliable sources of information. We should try to bring facts to the table, back them up, have our evidence lined up, take it seriously. But then when they smear us all together anyway... You got to come to Newsbusters. You got to get the dirt on what these people are saying, what they're conspiring to do. It's a conspiracy theory that these come these people come out to an open forum that's videotaped and say we need to suppress everybody, but the trustworthy sources. That's a conspiracy theory we can all believe in. It's real. It's been going on for years now. You know, just because Elon Musk isn't playing along, too bad, so sad. All right. So like I said, this is why you come to Newsbusters. Come once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.